This is Around the Farm, the podcast about all things ag, and I'm your host, Rick Myra. On today's show, we're going to be talking about crop scouting. We've got a great expert to have a conversation with about it. Charlie Beeler, who manages a full-scale research farm for the Climate Corporation, is going to be talking to us about how they're using different technologies on the research farm to try to understand how to improve efficiencies around scouting and how technology is going to help to make us more efficient in the future. Well, Charlie, thanks so much for joining us on Around the Farm today. We're really excited to have uh, have somebody with your expertise to talk us through scouting and what folks should be doing, thinking about and considering, and how they can use digital tools to do that even better as we move through this summer. But before we get to all that fun stuff, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, how you got into farming, and uh, how you ended up at Climate. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Rick. Always happy to chat. Uh, I grew up in Perry, Iowa. It's about 45 minutes northwest of Des Moines. Uh, I'm currently sitting here in Fort Dodge at our climate research farm, uh, so it's just about an hour north of where I grew up. Uh, my, you know, my introduction to agriculture is probably a little unconventional. Uh, I uh, grew up showing cattle uh, on 40 acres, so we put up a little hay, but I did not come from a row crop operation. It wasn't until college, when I was at Iowa State, I started working in a genetics lab at, uh, in the Molly Bio building there for a little extra money. And their model genome was maize, so corn. So I spent a summer in a crossing nursery, and that set me down an R&D path that I just uh, never looked back. So out of school, I uh, ended up in Monsanto's breeding organization, now Bayer. And uh, that got me out in the field running a planter, running plot combines, taking a lot of agronomic notes, and, and uh, you know, helping to collect data to advance Bayer's product portfolio. Um, from there, I spent some time as a soil agronomist, uh, and, and most recently, I was in St. Louis for a little bit, working as a uh, sensors technician. So our group collected novel data sets, uh, anything from UAV imagery to in-ground moisture probes. So all those experiences helped me get a foot in the door with uh, these research farms, and I've been here about two years now. Hey, as a, as a proud graduate of the original ISU, Illinois State University, I'm going to try to look past the, the fact that you went to that other ISU where they just copied our logo and put a tornado on the bottom of the Redbird and called it a cyclone. Okay, we're, we're, I'm going to try to move past that. I'm going to do my best. Rick, if we think about this logically, if you got a standard cardinal versus a half cardinal, half tornado, I mean, 11 times out of 10, cyclone's going to win there. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's just... No competition. You would think that, but I'll take Woody Woodpecker any day over the Tasmanian Devil. Okay, that's that's just where we're at here. But alas, we we could debate ISU versus ISU until the cows come home, and we still wouldn't have a winning sports program. So let's, let's get focused on easy, something easy. that matters. We can compare tailgating setups. How about that? Uh, you guys win that with uh, going away. So. Hey, well, you know, you, you mentioned the climate research farms, and I know some of our listeners and, uh, and viewers have heard of the climate research farms before, but many have not. Can, can you talk to the group a little bit about, hey, what do we do at the climate research farms? What, what are they, and, and what does it mean to be a research farm lead? Yeah, the Climate Corporation oper- operates uh, uh, five research farms across the Corn Belt. So all in all, we cover about 6,000 production acres of corn, soybean, and we got a little bit of wheat. Uh, so when, in 2014, 2015, when these farms were conceptualized, uh, they were placed in very unique growing environments 
and, and growing environments that represented the climate field view user base. So we've got center pivot irrigation in York, Nebraska. We've got spring and fall wheat up in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, the Martinsville, Illinois site was just planting double crop soybeans. Uh, and then there's Springfield, Illinois, and, and Fort Dodge, of course, were pretty heavy corn and soybean uh, geographies. So, um, you know, our main purpose is really to help support and validate the development of different uh, predictive agronomic models that the Climate Corporation is advancing through their science pipeline. So we definitely fall under the R&D science umbrella. Um, and, and we're there to uh, really provide uh, some confidence to our, our science teams and the marketing teams when we take a, a product to the customer. Um, they've been vetted out on, on production acres, and, and we've got a good handle on what the tool's offering to growers. You guys are kind of the tip of the spear for uh, testing all this data science stuff in the real world to, to see how it plays out uh, in the countryside. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... Uh, we kind of get our hands on it first. We provide our feedback um, kind of from the perspective of a grower. Uh, we like to put our stamp of approval on it before it uh, goes large scale. I bet you see a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting things on the research farm. You know, I, I, I'd just be curious, what's, what's one thing you've, you've discovered or seen that, that kind of surprised you? It took you back a little bit. Yeah, I would say uh, the sheer quantity of, of data coming off a production acre anymore. Uh, you know, for instance, my planter behind me, it's a 16-row multi-hybrid planter, but it gives us 15 unique data layers, uh, each you know, mapped uh, with sub-inch accuracy across that field. So there's just an enormous amount of uh, data around soil type, organic matter, temperature, uh, seed placement. It, it's just incredible, the, the volume. And so the equipment manufacturers today are integrating sensors into just about anything they can measure. And... You know, it's our job uh, and climate in particular to understand what we do with all that. So, Well, you know, you, you talk about all that data that's being generated and, and I'm assuming you're using a lot of tools that, that help you to get to that data. You know, we're, we're in the portion of the season now where farmers all across the Corn Belts, south, everywhere basically, are scouting, right? And, and so much of scouting where we are today is still visual inspection, right? The, there's the old 55 mile an hour scouts. Uh, there's the stand on the, the the bed of the truck scouts. You know, some folks are using drones. Some folks are using satellite imagery. But, you know, what, what can you tell us about how you guys go about scouting at the climate research farms? Yeah, yeah. So we've got about 1,200 acres. And there's uh, three guys here, myself included. So we're, uh, we're tasked with having a really good handle on, on our trials throughout the season. Uh, we want to be really in tune with what's going on in the field so we can convey that uh, down the line. Um, but that's, that's a lot of acres to cover for three guys, and, and uh, you know, especially when the corn gets to be uh, you know, taller than, than, than myself, uh, it's difficult to get a good, good look. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that a boots-in-the-ground approach is necessary, and it can definitely be supplemented. Um, but as you can imagine, being a climate research farm, we, we heavily utilize the uh, uh, Climate Field View platform to uh, facilitate a lot of our scouting. Um, so when I, when I think about scouting our farm, uh, there, there's never enough time in the day. We're trying to be really directed with our efforts. So um, you know, one of the first scouting passes we make in the season is, is validating our, our planting populations. Uh, we run a lot of variable rate populations throughout our field, and I'm going to check and make sure that planter is operating as, as we expect. So uh, I can pull up my field view planting map, identify a couple areas where we have different step changes in population, 
and then we can direct ourselves to, the, to those points in the field and make sure we're, we're encompassing uh, you know, all the variables in the field. So that's been a, a, just a big asset, um, being able to you know, see all those data layers from out the season, throughout the season, and, and apply those to our scouting efforts. You know, I'd, I'd assume with three of you working the ground, there so much data being collected, and then your connectivity back to the R&D team back at, uh, at the Climate Corporation, there's a lot of collaboration that probably happens around uh, uh, the data that you're generating around there, wanting to monitor crop progress and, and just see, see where things are. How have, uh, how have digital tools and, and the FieldView platform helped you to keep everybody on the same page and, uh, and make sure that there's good connectivity and everybody's singing from the same, uh, same song sheet? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Uh, you know, these farms have been kind of remote before uh, working from home was really cool. We're kind of out here in the countryside, uh, away from the main offices in St. Louis, San Francisco. But, you know, those, those data science teams, those analysts are the folks that we work with day to day to, you know, help get our, get our work done. Um, so communication is key, and especially with our scouting efforts and, and, and every application we make through a field. So uh, being able to... Uh, drop pins and and then snap a picture, tag that to the pin, take any notes that you're seeing throughout the season. Uh, you know, within five minutes, somebody in St. Louis, 400 miles away, you could pull up a pin I dropped this morning and check that out. So it's really opened up the communication channels uh, and, and uh, you know, folks that we work with day to day are just as in tune with the field as, as we are out here every day. You know, one, one of the fun things that, that I, I often chuckle at is, you know, when you guys are out there doing hard work and planting in the, uh, in the heart of the season, you know, somebody usually has the remote view working up on one of the TV screens back at the office. So, we're, you know, we're all kind of riding along in the cab with you. You got about a team of 600 sitting there with you. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great feature as well. Hey, um, you know, you, you've been doing a lot of scouting out there in central Iowa. Um, what, uh, what are you taking a look at out there? What are you guys monitoring at the research farm that, uh, that may be an opportunity, maybe an area of concern for you that, uh, that maybe some of our listeners that are in your uh, general vicinity might want to check into as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, in, in central Iowa, we had one of the best starts that uh, I think I've had in my, uh, my, my short career in row crop agriculture. Uh, we started planting April 20th and, and we're wrapped up. Uh, I think the first of May. So we had a great window, hammered down. It was a nice change of pace con compared to 2018, 2019. Um, as the crop started coming up, uh, we did see a little bit of unevenness in our, in our corn, uh, especially corn on corn. We had some cool weather. I think uh, temperatures and that, and that light fluffy soil were able to get down there and, and uh, introduce some, some variability in our emergence. Um, it's starting to even out now as we get into that uh, tasseling timing, um, but you still see some of that variability. Um, we've been scouting a lot for disease. We have been very unseasonably dry, and I think that's suppressed a lot of, of disease development to date. Um, we were out, uh, we got a shower this morning, so as we introduce some more moisture into the canopy, I really do think that disease could, could flush up. Um, so we're trying to, you know, this is a heavy scouting period for us as we're uh, looking to time our fungicide applications and get, and get that on so we have uh, the most efficacy with that treatment. Um, another thing that we've been kind of keeping an eye on starting uh, about last week is, is uh, corn rootworm. So uh, there's been some uh, reports of some feeding in an untraded crop. 
we have recently, recently deployed some sticky traps to uh, monitor that pressure. Now the damage is already gonna be done as those beetles are coming out, but uh, we can use that information to, to make sure we got the right traits and, and insecticide protection in the field for next year as we think about our, our rotations. You know, it's always humbling when you think about, we, we, we deal in technology so often and there's so many tools out there that make things better. But you start talking about corn rootworm and you go, well, you know, we got the sticky traps out. And you know what? That works. I, that If it's not broken, don't fix it, right? If it's an effective mechanism. So that's, uh, that's always great to see those things happen as well. I was going to say it's a lot more effective than me out there with a the net. <laughs> Listen, I can send my kids out there. My kids love to catch bugs. So we'll just send them out there with a net. You go ahead and run them, uh, run them until they're ragged and you send them back to me and then they'll go to sleep easier at night, right? We'll take all the help we can get. Hey, uh, on our last episode, we, we chatted with a panel of experts about, uh, about CP crop protection strategies, right? And, and I want to touch on that topic just for a moment. We talked about scouting. Uh, you were saying, hey, there's potential for some, some things to develop as, as you introduce more moisture into the canopy. Um, as you and the team there are making decisions about in-season application of fungicides or, or different applications to manage disease and pests, you know, what, what types of, of things are you looking at? What types of tools are you using to help you make those decisions on if you're going to be doing a, an application or not? Yeah, you know, fungicide is kind of a tough one because you want to get out there, uh, you know, before you see anything. So, you know, the first thing we think about with fungicide is, um, you know, what value are we protecting? So um, fungicide, you really got to think about the ROI with it as well. So you got to have the yield potential out there to protect to, to really, you know, gain that, that or earn back that ROI. So if we had some issues early season, if our stand wasn't quite as expected, you know, might, you might be better off looking at some of your better locations to, to uh, get that treatment down. The next thing I kind of alluded to was the timing piece. And that's a tough one to nail down as well. You know, if you pull the trigger too early, uh, you're going you're gonna to miss out on some of that residual capacity of, of the chemistry. Um, and if you get out there too late, the damage might already be done. So you're, you're trying to time that application right as the, right as the disease is flaring up. Um, and, and to do that, there's, there's a lot of things going on. You know, first, get out there and scout when we start hitting that window, uh, you know, just before VT. Second, you know, keep tabs on the weather forecasts. Um, like, I, like I mentioned, we've been dry, so I think that's really suppressed that disease development. But, you know, if we had uh, two inches of rain in early July, I think we'd be, we'd be uh, seeing a different story around this area. Um, so those are, are really what I think about. And then third, I would also suggest uh, the digital tools have made it so easy to introduce a check strip into, into our applications. And that's really going to help you get back and quantify uh, that ROI. So, you know, you, you don't know unless you measure. So uh, it's so simple today to leave that check strip in the field. Once you get the yield map in the fall, you can, you know, run that uh, yield analysis report and, and understand really what you're gaining from that application. I, I've always got to assume, too, for, for you guys that are working the research farms that, you know, sometimes the protocol is designed ahead of time and you don't get to do anything in season either. I, I assume that that goes against every inch of your, your, your being as a farmer, that you just have to like restrain yourself from, I need to take action right now, but the protocol says just wait it out. 
Yeah, you know, there's, there's a fine balance of running replicated trials and, and uh, you know, executing the agronomics uh, correctly. So, you know, we get a lot of flexibility. Um, you know, these farms are, we're, we're trying to manage like our local producers. So, uh, you know, we, we're definitely, with fungicide, keeping our eyes open around VT, but I've been dragging my feet a little bit with this dry weather and, and the, the folks in St. Louis understand. I can I can imagine that. So, you know, as as somebody that works on the front lines, right? You're you're seeing things on the front half before most people even know that they're they're out there and available for them. You know, if you look into the crystal ball into the future, what types of things get you excited about what's coming in agriculture with technology over the next five, 10 years? Yeah, I, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but I really think UAVs and drone imagery, uh, drone applications, I think there's going to there's gonna be a big influx of that in agriculture. Um, I've been really impressed using, uh, we have a, a consumer-grade DJI Phantom 4 here in the farms, and we've used that for all kinds of things, you know, especially around scouting. Um, that that boots-in-the-ground approach is great, but sometimes we had a... We had a large wind event come through a couple weeks ago, and it was it was just a real bear to walk across the rows. So we just popped the drone up. We were able to, you know, quickly get a visual of the extent of the damage, and then we just kind of turned our back for five days to see how it came back. So um, I know uh, some of our farms in Illinois are uh, experimenting with some aerial uh, drone aerial applications uh, with fungicide. So I think it just opens up a lot of opportunity. Uh, to get those applications on when when conditions aren't right. I know a lot of uh, Iowa and Illinois growers over the past two seasons are, are familiar with uh, marginal field conditions and um, probably have had to pull a, a piece of equipment out of the mud once or twice. So uh, I think, you know, those drones are really going to open up a lot of windows. Well, Charlie, before we let you out the door here, I, I do have to ask you one thing. We, we have so many experts on the show um, I'm, I'm trying to write a book called The Pearls of Wisdom for Farming. So we, we need to get your contribution to, uh, to this great source of knowledge. So what, uh, what's the one piece of advice that, uh, that's always stuck with you about farming that, uh, that, that stayed with you through the years? Yeah, you know, Rick, you mentioned the, the 55 mile an hour uh, tailgaters earlier. The best advice I got was you got to slow down to 40. I mean, that 50 mile an hour drop in, uh, in speed there makes all the difference, doesn't it? That's the world. I was trying to take a very safety forward approach to this. I know that the actual speed of that is not 55, but I, I was going to keep it, you know, within the legal guidelines at least. Right, right. <laughs> well, Charlie, speaking of looking forward to things, you know, we've, we've got Major League Soccer just started back up. Basketball's coming. Baseball's getting ready to roll. We're debating whether football's happening this fall. Tell me this, is, uh, is, is the summer has opened up a little bit here. What are you excited about getting to do again? You know, there's, there's so many things we haven't been able to do this summer. What, what's, uh, what are you excited about getting the chance to get out there and do again? Yeah, hands down, cyclone tailgating. Uh, we're we're kind of waiting to see how the uh, NCAA shakes out with, uh, you know, what they're going to do with their football season. But uh, I promise you my buddies and I are going to, uh, make the most of whatever football season we have uh, and, and support our Cyclones. Well, I can, I can totally understand that. And again, I'll look past the fact that it's the wrong ISU. <laughs> Charlie Beeler, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us around the farm, uh, around the farm today from, uh, from one of our most scenic backdrops that we've seen since we've gone to the vidcast format. Well done, sir. Well done. Thank you. 
Charlie, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your expertise. Our listeners really appreciate your perspective. And by the way, we'd like to thank our listeners, both those that download the podcast and those that watch the vidcast on YouTube. We appreciate you being fans of the show. For those of you that are FieldView users, we know that this has been an especially challenging season. And if you need any additional help or support, never hesitate to reach out to our team. You can get our support team at 888-924-7475 or by emailing them at support at climate.com. And if you'd like to get some tips and tricks on how you can stay connected in these challenging times, visit us at www.climate.com slash stay dash connected. Hey, while we're talking about ideas, our best ones come from you. Go ahead and give me a shout out on Twitter. You can find us at the at FieldView Twitter handle and use the hashtag FieldViewATF to submit your content ideas for the next episode. And while you're giving feedback, we never turn down those five-star reviews. Hey, as always, it's been a blast and we'll see you around the farm.